Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Capital Adulting Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Gardner. Definitely excited to dive into today's topic with you. Fair warning. You know, I I gave a fair warning on the last episode that the approach was a little bit more philosophical in terms of, you know, balancing your relationship with money. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go ahead and go back, give that a listen. The fair warning for today's episode is a little bit different. This is going to be actually a lot more technical. Um, As you may have gathered by the title, primary focus is going to be on taxes, right? Everybody's favorite thing. Um, you may be thinking, Hey, you're, you know, talking about taxes and you haven't really, you haven't done an episode yet on kind of overall explaining taxes. I know I've gotten a bunch of questions about that and, you know, we're going to be covering some aspects of just kind of the general tax system, but primarily I wanted to focus on simply reducing your tax burden. So your taxable income for the year 2020. And the reason I'm kind of putting the cart before the horse here is that we're coming up on the end of the year and there's certain things that, you know, that you'll want to do before the calendar year is up. If you're not already doing them or at least tracking them um, to help reduce how much you'll have to pay in taxes. So when I say something like reduce your tax burden or, you know, minimize your taxable income, that's just slightly fancier way of saying, hey, you want to pay less in taxes, right? So figured I put together to get today's program to to talk through what are some opportunities to do that, right? What are, especially as you're feeling that cash crunch coming up into the holiday season, um, what are some good ways to help put some, put some cash back in your pocket, whether it's now or potentially when you get a refund down the road. But, um, you know, the underlying premise of this, I think this is a pretty universal assumption, but some folks may differ. Um, you know, I'm going to make the assumption that everybody wants to pay the minimum amount of taxes possible, legally possible. So if, if you are interested in paying more than you have to in taxes, you know, feel free to cut a check to the, um, the treasury department. I'm, I'm sure they'll be, they'll be happy to accept it. Um, they're already spending $5 for what you're paying in anyways. Um, Again, sole focus is on legal means of reducing tax burden. Of course, you know, there's a myriad of illegal ways that you could do it. Um, Clearly don't do that. Definitely not endorsing that if you opt to do it. I mentioned this in a previous episode. If you want to illegally not pay taxes, you know, it's kind of implied that that is obviously illegal, a crime. You know, you could be audited and go to jail, face fines, a whole bunch of bad things. So don't do that. Um, as part of that, I think it's helpful to define a couple terms real quick. And those being tax aversion and tax evasion. So you may have heard those tossed around before. You know, maybe somebody is tax averse or somebody is committing tax evasion. So the difference there is tax aversion. So that's with an, that's with an A. Tax aversion is taking advantage of every legal opportunity to reduce the amount you have to pay in taxes, right? Some people call them loopholes. Some people say it's optimizing the tax code, different ways you can frame it. That's the legal side of things. Evasion would be all the Ill- illegal ways, right? So that is, you know, just simply not reporting income, right? If you just opted to tell the IRS, hey, you know, I made 40,000 this year when you really made 50, you know, that is 
that's tax evasion. Um, obviously, as you kind of climb the, the financial ladder, there's more intricate ways that you can do it, you know, parking money offshore. Um, we could we could go really deep into that, but, you know, that's, frankly, that's most likely not pertinent to, to y'all listening or to myself. So we're going to keep that just super, super high level. Just wanted to define those terms for you. Just as it might it might come up in conversation or in things that you're reading, you might be curious kind of what's the difference there. So we're big fans of tax aversion, totally out on tax evasion, right? So um, with that, let's kind of jump into the, the meat of today's episode. So uh, like I said at the beginning, you know, I haven't done a dedicated episode talking about our tax system. And when I say our tax system... I'm talking about the United States. If you're listening from from another country, that's great. Welcome. Glad to have you part of this. Unfortunately, today's episode's probably not going to be pertinent to you, but guess what? There's uh, there's five other episodes that currently out right now that you could go check out instead, but happy to have you as part of the Capital Dalton community. But anyways, focus on the U.S. tax code. And so first things first is there are a variety of different types of taxes and different levels that you get taxed right and so you might think of some common ones like income tax property tax sales tax uh, you might have heard of capital gains payroll taxes things like that that's what i mean when getting that with the different types levels means kind of different tiers of government that are taxing you right so last time i heard there's something crazy like 30,000 different jurisdictions across the United States in terms of like all the way from, you know, local government kind of rolls up to the state level, which rolls up to the federal level, right? So different tiers would be, you know, your local kind of like your city, potentially your county, state level, naturally be the state that you live in and its statewide tax policies. And then the federal government is kind of the uniform tax policy for all 50 states. So uh, important to keep that in mind. You know, different different cities, different towns could have different tax policies. Really, the local side is not as significant. Um, really, where you'll see the key difference would be at the state level, right? So a state like California, where I'm at, has a very, um, shall we say, expansive tax policy. <laughs> so they, uh, so there's income tax on the higher end for sure. Um, definitely towards the top end of the spectrum in terms of income taxes. Whereas you might be in a state, like if you're in Nevada or Texas or Florida, there's a handful of states, um, that do not charge or do not tax you for your income at the state level. Of course, federal government's still going to tax you, tax your income. But that's kind of a, it's a, just an example of where you might see a difference between uh, the, from state to state there in tax policies. So it's important to keep in mind that our overall tax system is progressive. And so what that means is as you make more money, the percentage that you owe in taxes will increase, right? Hence the progressive nature as income rises, Per tax percentage, tax rates increase accordingly. That's different as opposed to, you know, some folks are proponents of a flat tax system. So an example being, you know, regardless of your income, you know, maybe everyone's just taxed 20%. That would be a flat tax, right? So whether you made 50,000 or 50 million, tax 20%, leave it at that. 
with our current policy, we have a progressive side. So that means there's different brackets, right? So um, you're not taxed like that flat 20%. You'll fall into a specific tax bracket. So let's say, you know, say you make $60,000, you know, that might put you in like a 22 or 24% federal income tax bracket. Does that mean that you're taxed every dollar that you made is taxed at that 22 to 24% dollar amount? No, that just means that's the, the highest tax rate that you would have to pay. So the progressive system, you know, it, it works in chunks, right? So there's a certain amount that you're not taxed on. That's the standard deduction. Um, and then, you know, you move in, move through different brackets. So let's say, you know, zero to 12,400 standard deduction, not taxed there. But then maybe for your next $10,000, you're taxed at 10%, right? So you would, at that point, you're going to owe $2,000. But obviously, you know, hopefully, maybe you're making more money beyond that. So then maybe you move into the 15% bracket and kind of so on and so forth. So it's, it's difficult to vocally explain tax brackets and how they flow. So what I would recommend doing is simply Google you know, the different tax brackets, kind of understand where you're at. And then you can see from there roughly how it flows through. But basically that how that's saying that's, you know, from $1 amount to another, you're taxed at X percent. And then, you know, as you say, so zero to 10,000, maybe you're taxed at 10%. And then from 10,001 to 20%, you could be taxed at 15% and so on and so forth. So again, I'd say go check out just Google, you know, 2020 tax brackets and kind of get, if, if you would like a clearer picture there, but there also are some nuances to, um, to kind of the taxation system, right? As you get, you know, up into kind of the elevated financial position. So when you're making hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, there are some, some other items that can come into play for now. I'm just going to leave those, um, yeah, I think it's again kind of more pertinent to stay lower level here. You know, I think most of us fall in kind of the you know fall in one of the traditional buckets and the traditional like taxation policies. Um, so that's kind of income tax, right? Again, progressive. As you make more, you pay a higher percentage on those dollars. Um, there also are you know other ones that are more that are a flat tax. So sales taxes and FICA tax. So FICA, you may have heard as, you know, social security, Medicare, payroll taxes. Those are all the same things. Um, yeah, essentially FICA is, you know, your, your social security tax. So difference there is those are flat amounts typically. Um, so, you know, again, there's so many jurisdictions, like I mentioned, it could, it could vary on the sales tax front, especially, um, you know, it, that sales tax is typically, um, a state and local policy, right? So your state and your, your local government will have their own taxes or own sales tax. So, you know, maybe for instance, the state of California charges, you know, 7.5% in, in sales tax. And then the, you know, maybe the city of Santa Barbara charges 0.5% more. So then total sales tax in the city of Santa Barbara is, is 8%. So that's again where, you know, it might vary depending on the city, the town you're in and, and state. So there are some, um, I believe Wyoming 
and potentially uh, Oregon for sure. I was thinking Washington. Washington is no income tax. Wyoming and Oregon, I believe, are both no sales tax at the state level. So again, that's another example where it'll differ per per kind of locale that you're in. So FICA taxes, Social Security, that's that's a different ballgame. So that's that's something that's taxed at the federal level, and it applies to everything above $400 that you make. And it's it's a pretty punitive tax. So it is a flat 7.65%. So basically for, if you make $1,000, you know, that's 7650 that you're paying in to, you know, the Social Security and Medicare programs. So the reason it's called payroll taxes is the, the cumulative amount is actually 15.3%. But when you're employed by a business, the the employer also pays 7.65%. So basically that 15.3 is split in half and the employer covers one half and the employee covers the other. So one thing to keep in mind there, if you, um, if you want to start your own business or I know one thing that's, you know, really grown in popularity over the last, you know, 10 plus years or so is kind of the gig economy and the concept of being an independent contractor. So if you are an entrepreneur or an independent contractor, you actually have to play, pay self-employment tax, which is, it's another name for, you know, same payroll taxes. And so you would be liable for all 15.3%. And so that's that's a pretty punitive thing. So, you know, keep in mind if you do want to strike out on your own, there is that component to it. Um, just definitely an important thing to note. And, you know, like I said, there are some nuances when you get high level, you know, there is a point where once you pay a certain amount in FICA tax, payroll taxes, um, it's the amount that you owe kind of drops down. Um, but, you know, you have to get into kind of the, the hundreds of thousands range before you get in there. So we're going to we're going to leave table that one for now. Um, you know, if you are in a position in which you're making enough to start hitting some of that that upper echelon criteria, props to you. Um, most likely you're already doing this, but probably a wise idea to go ahead and get some professional tax advice. And that's also one thing I would encourage um, for for anyone out there. If taxes really you know generally are just super confusing and yeah, there's a reason why there's CPAs and tax professionals out there that this is what they do because tax code is insane. It's it's a lot of information. There's a million different uh, aspects to it. So if you do feel the need to go out and consult, you know, professional, definitely do so. It could it could be valuable. Um, you know, it, for most folks who are kind of just working a standard job, if there's nothing super special that's going on in the background, you might not necessarily need it. But again, having professional advice is is never a bad thing. So that's the brief overview of the of the tax system. So now let's kind of talk about taxes you know, themselves and and how to how to minimize your tax burden for for the for 2020. So first part is let's define what is taxable income. So what what's you know what is revenue to you? What are you know what are you generating an income that that you're liable for taxes on? And so the safe answer here is basically everything. So whether it's your you know local, state, federal government, 
everybody is going to want a piece of your pie, right? And keep in mind, you know, taxes are, you know, taxes bring a lot of common good to life. You know, it's things like, things like roads and, you know, schools and, you know, national defense, different institutions, government agencies, first responders. There's a lot of good things that happen from taxes. So I'm not saying taxes are evil by any means. Um, while we can get frustrated at times with it, keep in mind there is, there is good to it as well. But so really every every dollar of cash for the most part is is taxable right there are some exceptions where you know maybe your your gifted money right so if somebody you know somebody gave you a gift that wouldn't be taxed um things like if you're in college and your parents are giving you or someone's giving you an allowance or they're reimbursing you for certain expenses items like those are not taxable to you there's there there are exceptions there but it's always safe to to generally assume if you're working a job and you're making money that is almost certainly taxable so there are other things that kind of fall into that that taxable income bucket uh, one of which is would be something you know like a restricted stock unit so another concept that the that the IRS looks at is economic benefit Right, and so a restricted stock unit is essentially a company is giving you is potentially giving you you know shares of stock in that company, right? And so that could be, you know, there's there's a certain value die, tied to it. So let's say it's a hundred dollar stock. Company gives you one share, whether or not you sell it or not, or whether yeah, whether or not you sell it, that is treated as a one hundred dollar you know, gain or hundred dollars of, of, you know, monetary benefit to you at which point that would be taxed. Right. So keep that in mind. If your company does restricted stock units, there's other things like, you know, there's other things out there that give that grant you economic value that would also be taxed, even if it's not direct cash. Another one would be realized stock market gains. So emphasis on realized there, which means, you bought a stock for one price, you sold it for a higher price, and you've you've made money, right? You profited from that stock that stock sale. That is taxed, um, depending on how long you've held that stock. Uh, the amount that it's taxed will vary, and that also brings in the state piece again. So, you know, long story short, if you hold if you buy and sell a stock in under a year, it, that's considered short term. If you hold it longer than a year, that's long term. If it's short term, you're gonna pay ordinary income taxes on it. So just like just like if you're getting you know a paycheck from work, that's what you're gonna owe. If you hold it over a year, that would be subject to capital gains tax, which is usually at, at the federal level, it's a flat percentage for most people to be 15%. Um, and then some states will have their own capital gain tax policy. California again, kind of ringing in at the top here. They will they tax at the state level. They tax long-term gains as income. So, really, if you're in California, the benefit of holding long-term is lesser, but still helps you save save money on the federal level. Um, and like I said, if you're in doubt, one can't hurt to consult you know financial pro or tax tax advisor. 
Um, but when in doubt, play it safe and expect to pay taxes. Don't spend all your money and then not have any cash on hand to potentially cover some sort of tax burden that could come up. So that is kind of the Debbie Downer portion there, right? Of, hey, well, you, maybe what we just talked through um, highlighted an area which maybe you were underestimating your taxes for the year, which could, you know, could result in, a, you know, a nasty surprise come the spring. But this next section here, I think, will will help hopefully put a smile on your face. And this is, you know, let's get into how to minimize your taxable income. So I'll str- you know, can't stress enough, these are legal means of doing it. Um, you know, with taxes, like I said, tax code is very intense, very in-depth. There's exceptions, there's nuances, there's different attributes and aspects. If you have a complex financial situation, don't hesitate to get a, get some pro, you know, uh, professional's advice. First step in reducing your taxable income is to take advantage of all the deductions possible. So I mentioned this earlier in the episode. There is a standard deduction. So for 2020, that's $12,400 for individual filers and then $24,800 for joint filers. So depending on kind of your your marital status or just your your life situation, um, you may be an individual filer. Um, you may be, you know, joint if you have spouse, partner. Um, one thing to note: if you are still, you know, you might be a dependent, which means you are, you know, basically filed under kind of your your parents or your guardian, whoever it might be. That somebody is claiming you as a dependent. That means you are not filing separate. Obviously, you're dependent on their tax filing. Reason for doing that is there is, you know, there are tax advantages to having dependence on your tax return. Um, but kind of just assuming that if you're listening uh, to this point, you're most likely falling into the individual or joint filer bucket. So, um, of course, you've got that standard deduction, which means you know that is kind of your your ta- your tax free income up to that percentage or up to that amount. So again, twelve thousand four hundred for individuals, twenty four eight hundred for joint filers. And there are a few other items that you can use to, or you can deduct from your taxable income. So you may have heard this term. It, it's become, you know, it's become a lot more apparent since the, the tax, the new tax law was passed in 2017, but there is the SALT deduction. So S-A-L-T, that stands for state and local taxes. Basically, um, if you're paying you know, state income tax, local taxes, anything like that, you can deduct that against your federal income taxes. So that's one thing to be cognizant of. Part of why it's become, you know, more well known is with the new tax law in 2017, they actually instituted a cap for the SALT deduction at $10,000. So previously you could deduct everything. So maybe you had $40,000 that you paid in state and local taxes. You could deduct all forty thousand at the federal level, and that's no longer. As of now, um, things may be subject to change as we're seeing kind of a, a you know a, the shift in power um, at the federal level. But as of now, you can for twenty twenty, you'll only be able to deduct ten thousand. So keep that in mind. One thing that was m- most likely or probably super pertinent to to the audience uh, tuning in here is that you can deduct your student loan interest up to $2,500 worth. So it's important to note there that student loan interest, not student loan payments, right? So let's say, 
Say you're paying 10% and you made $10,000 or 10% interest and you made $10,000, you know, in payments. We're just going to try to use easy math. I know there's there's different calculations and you know how payments operate, but so if you had 10,000 out at 10%, that would mean you have you'd pay $1,000 in interest. So you would be able to deduct $1,000 from your from your federal tax your federal taxable income there. Um, it would not mean you can't take the max 2,500 because you, you know, you, while you did pay 10,000, only a thousand of it went to interest. So if you're just paying down the principal balance of your loan, that portion is not deductible. Um, another one that may or may not be pertinent is the, the ability to deduct mortgage interest. So if you own a home and you have a mortgage out on it, you can typically deduct uh, most, if not all, of the interest that you're paying on your mortgage. Um, so that's one to check. And there are some there are some catches. Probably picking up a trend here, where basically with every one of these deductions or policies, there's always exceptions and and differences depending on where you're at. You know, like I said, if it gets complex, consult a professional. Um, but Unless you're, unless you have a very, you know, very expensive home, then most likely you can deduct the full amount. So it's kind of the d deduction front. Also good to do research, see if there's other things that are, you know, relevant to to your financial position. But another one that is universally um, available are tax advantaged retirements account, <laughs> tax advantaged retirement accounts. So if you uh, work for an employer who, offer, who sponsors a 401k plan that typically is um, is something that would you would be uh, you would contribute pre-tax dollars into right so that's really kind of the difference there are there are retirement accounts where there's post-tax money that goes into it which means you've already paid your taxes you put your money in there and that will then grow tax-free over the course of your life until you withdraw it. So that'd be like a Roth IRA. Some companies might offer a Roth 401k. So anything that's post-tax, like you would have to pay taxes today, but when you make withdrawals in the future, you would not pay taxes on any gains. Um, traditional 401ks or IRAs are the opposite. So that would mean you would contribute money today on a pre-tax basis and then you know, 20, 30, 40 years, whenever down the road you need to withdraw money, at that point you would pay taxes on the full amount, right? So maybe you put in $1,000 today, 20 years from now it's $5,000, so you withdraw the five and you would owe taxes on all 5,000. So there's pros and cons to both accounts. Remember, you can't go wrong either way when planning for retirement, right? So keep that in mind. Um, but also, you know, do a little bit of research, see what makes sense for you, um, whether you should utilize maybe a traditional or a Roth 401k IRA. Um, but, you know, that is that is a way to reduce your taxable income this year is to contribute more money into those traditional accounts. And there are certain caps on it, um, you know, like a 401k cap is 19500 um, And then the traditional IRA is typically in the six to seven range, unless you meet some exceptions, but you know, those are you know, kind of hefty dollar amounts, but um, something to check out as well. Um, 
Another way to reduce taxable income is to offset it with losses. And so this would be primarily losses from, you know, from the stock market, right? So maybe you bought a stock at $100, it drops to 50 and you sell it at 50. So you can actually take that $50 loss and apply it against your earnings for the year. So it's important to note, just like how we were saying earlier that it's realized stock market gain, or there's, yeah, market gains that you that are taxed, it's also realized market losses that can be used to offset your um, your income. So just because your portfolio, let's say you that hundred dollar stock that drops to fifty, if you're still holding that stock, you know, come January that that yeah, come January first. That $50 loss is unrealized, and that is not tax deductible, cannot be used to offset. Um, it's not tax deductible. You can't use it to offset your your income. So it has to be you purchased it, it went down in value, and you sold it, and you took a loss. Um, the nice thing about this is it doesn't necess- you don't necessarily have to have gains to offset with your losses. So... You know, common scenario is maybe you may, let's say you made a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars of realized gains, and then you take a thousand dollars of realized losses. So that would net to zero, which means you're not paying any taxes on any of that. But what if there's maybe a down deer, a down to year, and you say you just realize that thousand dollar loss? If you don't have any gains, you can actually take that thousand dollars and apply it against your regular income. So you reduce your tax, your taxable income by that thousand. Um, there is a cap on this. Um, you can only you can only offset up to three thousand dollars between um, three thousand dollars of losses against income or gains. Um, but the nice thing about it is you can um, if you don't utilize the full benefit. So let's say maybe you lost $5,000. You can only take 3,000 this year, but there's actually some provisions that allow you to take the remaining $2,000 and potentially apply it to next year. That's that's called that's a carry forward concept in the tax world. So um, I know it gets a little bit tricky. Um, could be another good thing to talk about with your financial advisor, your tax planner, um, but you can typically carry those forward. Um, last thing I do want to cover here in terms of how to minimize your taxable income would be the tax advantaged health accounts. So this is different than, you know, IRA, 401ks. Um, these would be HSAs or FSAs. So health spending accounts, um, health flexible spending accounts, um, for each of these, you know, there, there are some eligibility requirements like the HSA, for instance, you have to be on a high deductible plan. Um, FSAs are a little bit more flexible in who can sign up, but they're also more limited in the, the you know and what they offer. So, typically with either one of these accounts, the contributions that you make into it are not taxed. So, this is a good thing where maybe you're coming up on the end of the year. If you are on a high deductible plan with an HSA, you could potentially contribute more money into your account to to lessen how much you'll owe in taxes. Right. So if you've Let's say you make fifty thousand um, dollars, and then you know you're coming up on the end of the year. You don't want to pay as much in tax, so maybe you contribute five thousand dollars to your HSA. 
At that point, now your taxable income is 45,000. It's just that 50 minus five. So that's what's nice about HSAs is the money in the account rolls over into the next year. So if you did make a contribution on December 31st, um, that would, you know, that you don't lose that money come January one. And from this may differ by account for some of them, I've seen where you can actually contribute up to the tax filing date, um, to retroactively apply to, to the previous year. So that way you can make a contribution in April, uh, April, 2021 and potentially apply it to, um, to the 2020, um, FSAs are different. Typically with those, the money does not roll over. So that would be an instance where you don't want to uh, contribute at the end of the year unless you absolutely plan on spending it before January 1. Nice thing about this is you can you can then reimburse yourself or pay providers directly from these accounts to, to cover medical expenses. Um, and yeah, like I said, since the contributions are tax-free, then that means you're you're able to save a little bit on um, kind of routine medical care, right? So think about it this way. Let's say you have a $300 expense. If you just pay, you know, pay out of pocket for it, you're going to pay $300. But for you to have $300, you were already taxed on it. And if you were, you know, if you're, you know, your t taxes are 25%, you would have had to make 400 to be taxed to lose a hundred to taxes to give you three hundred to then pay your provider. If you did the, if you had a, a, you know, one of these advantaged health accounts, HSA, FSA, you'd be able to contribute three hundred dollars directly pre-tax into your account and then pay the provider or reimburse yourself three hundred dollars. Um, and so at that point, you saved yourself the hundred dollars in tax. So one thing to keep in mind as with everything we've touched on, there's a bunch of regulations and requirements around, you know, what qualifies. So be really careful here, especially with FSAs. Um, you don't want to end up in a situation where you're trying to reimburse yourself for something that doesn't qualify. And then next thing you know, like you're in trouble with the IRS and can potentially face, you know, penalties and, and fines and, and all that fun stuff. So pay real close attention to all the requirements. Um, and speaking of paying attention, um, you know, items to look at at the end of the year here kind of already hit on most of these, but you know, it might make sense for you to contribute more to your, your pre-tax account. So maybe, you know, maybe you want to up your, your, you know, traditional 401k or IRA contribution before we, before the year's up. Um, you know, when you're going to file your taxes, make sure you're including any student loan interest that you have, you know, again, you got up to $2,500 that you can use, um, to, to deduct from your overall tax burden. And again, if you've been playing around in the stock market, which I know a lot of folks have, um, hopefully you're, you know, you're making money, but if you, if you haven't, maybe you've realized a bunch of losses, keep in mind that you can use those this year to offset your taxable income as well as in previous years. So um, you can go back a couple years and carry forward any of those losses that you weren't able to use previously and offset those um, this year as well. There are two items that are unique to 2020 that are helpful to keep in mind. Um, one, you may have seen my article I wrote on, I wrote on this back um, when they first announced you know, that stimulus checks were going out. 
that those are not taxed. So the way those were treated, they were more of a tax credit. So that is not taxable income. You don't have to worry about paying taxes on that $1,200. Um, another item that actually came out of the same legislation, the CARES Act, is a $300 charitable donation deduction. So before 2017's new law, you were able to you know donate money or goods to to a charity and they would you know there'd be a value and then you could you could deduct that from your taxes right so they changed that up a bit with the 2017 tax law where it's only accessible to people who you know reach a certain point where they need to what's called itemize their taxes um, which is very you know that's most likely not applicable to you um, but for this year they've opened up a $300 charitable deduction which means you can you can contribute or donate to your favorite charities and again this could be money or you know maybe use clothes toys you know extra goods like that and you can deduct up to $300 from your taxes um, so keep this in mind just like my earlier example like you know maybe you wanted to donate $300 to a charity um, you know under typical law outside of this year you would have to you know make four hundred dollars you pay a hundred in tax then you'd have your three hundred left over to donate to your charity this year essentially they're saying hey don't worry about the tax there you can donate three hundred dollars and then deduct it so you don't have to pay those extra taxes um one thing to keep in mind i know a lot of folks you know especially this time of year there's a lot of there's a lot of need in in the world whether it's you know local level across the world um, but you know, if you do have the means, I hope you can find a cause that, that means something to you and, and you're able to, you know, find some, find some extra cash that you can, that you can put their way. And then on the bright side, you can utilize up to $300 in a deduction to, to save you a little bit of money on the back end. But again, I tragically failed to keep it to the 30 minute mark. Um, hopefully this has been an insightful episode for you. Um, again, as I warned at the beginning, I knew this was going to be very technical, a lot of numbers thrown out. So if you have any questions, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to recap, you know, it is understand, it is important to understand the overall tax system, right? Understand that income is taxed progressively. Things like sales tax and payroll taxes are more flat amounts. Um, understanding, you know, what items can you, can you deduct to reduce your taxes? What, what just in general would be taxed, right? All good to know those things. Um, you know, and really if you glean one thing from, from today's episode, it's, you know, find, find ways to reduce your taxable income as much as possible, because when you do that, that puts more cash back in your pocket. That's when you can do more things with it, you know, maybe pay down some debt, put it into the market, whatever it might be, maybe you just save it, right? You can never go wrong having extra cash on hand. Um, last thing I'll leave you with, and I could get on the soapbox, I'm gonna table that for another day, but keep in mind the goal is not to aim for a tax refund. I know a lot of folks think of that as a bonus, but really it means that you gave the government more money than you should have, and they're simply giving it back. But you know, you might have made a, you know, if you're making money the whole year, so let's say January 2020, you're, you know, you're paying your taxes and you're overpaying. 
Well, you're not going to get that money back until, you know, probably depending on when you file and when things get processed, April, May, June, potentially later of 2021, right? So don't lose a year and a half, a year and a half worth of your money. Like that could be working for you today. So don't go for the refund. Try to pay. The end goal is that you pay exactly as much as you need to in tax. Government gets what they need and you, you know, walk away without owing anything and without receiving anything. So that about does it. Thank you again for sticking with me through the drudgery of tax code and <laughs> deductions and all that fun stuff. Like I said, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can find me grant at capitaldolting.com is my email. Find me on social media. Um, there also is Capital Adulting social media pages that I'm going to be building out. So feel free to go give us a follow You know, on Twitter, Instagram. Um, check us out there. Um, as always, if you don't mind subscribing slash following slash rating the podcast, you know, I would greatly appreciate it. It's always good to get to get feedback in general, whether it's positive or negative. I'd love to hear your thoughts so far. Um, and like I said, if you've got any questions, I'm happy to elaborate on anything that we've covered. Maybe you just have general finance questions. You know, feel free to reach out to me. You know, I, of course, I don't charge for any of this. Um, so, you know, I'm just, just another person aiming to, to help others out there who may not be as financially savvy. So, um, like I said, let me know. Otherwise, thanks again for listening and I'll look forward to catching up with y'all again shortly here. Till then, take care.